So I hope everybody had a happy and blessed Thanksgiving. And I, my, my guess is if you had a chance to be around friends or family, you maybe have traditions or you reflect on certain memories, Thanksgiving is a great time for that. There's, a, for me, a lot of great memories that come from this holiday. Uh, one that stands out in fairly recent memory, it's maybe 10 or 12 years ago now. I was in the living room uh, at my in-law's house, at Jennifer's house, uh, sitting just me and her dad, my father-in-law, sitting in the uh, living room. I, I think it was Thanksgiving morning as we were getting ready to, to get in the car and go to Gulfport. And he had opened up the newspaper. And there in the newspaper was an editorial, Thanksgiving morning, and the title of the editorial columns was uh, Not Much to be Thankful for This Year. And it was this rambling complaint, one long complaint about the economy and the housing market and, the, and politics and, you know, and so on. And y'all, my father-in-law, Jennifer's dad, he got real irritated with this columnist. And I, he's not a guy that I saw get angry very often, only a handful of times at most. But here he was, he was angry. Because this was a man, Bob Hermits, a man who was born right in between the Great Depression and World War II, who grew up poor, who lost his own father at a very young age. Bob had seen a lot of hardship and a lot of heartache in his life. But he just sat there, not cynical, not embittered, but he sat there with that newspaper in his hands, just amazed that anybody could come to such a cynical conclusion about life. And I remember Dad saying to me, he said, if you've got anything, good in your life. It's a gift. The air we breathe is a gift. How could you enjoy all of God's blessings and then turn around and tell him you've got nothing to thank him for? He was mad. And the thing that, that dad understood very deeply is that gratitude, thanksgiving, is not a fickle, circumstantial thing that we look out at the world around us or we take inventory of our lives and we decide if there's enough to be thankful for. No, it's a posture of the heart and the soul. It's not a fickle feeling that comes and goes. It's a settled attitude of the heart that's in relationship to God. And so today I want us to talk about a posture of thanksgiving because the holiday has now come and gone. Surely we could look around on Thursday and say all sorts of things we're thankful for. But the posture is meant to carry us through the year. Every single moment of every day, we ought to be thankful and grateful. And the scripture is abundant with that type of command and guidance. We could, I mean, there's a thousand places we could turn in the Bible this morning. But I want to encourage us today, we're going to root ourselves this morning in the 23rd Psalm. Uh, probably the most famous Psalm, at least in our modern culture, it's a psalm that most of us know, at least we've heard it, we, some of us know it by heart, but, but we need to look at it with fresh eyes today, because the words of this psalm really do have the power to deepen our gratitude, to give us not just a fleeting sense of thanksgiving, but a posture, a settled attitude, because King David understood something about God that he wants to share with us, a precious, unique relationship that we all experience by faith, just as he did. And so let's look together at the 23rd Psalm, verse by verse, and let's just delight in it together, okay? Verse 1, David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now when David speaks of God right there, aren't there a lot of true things he could have said about God? He could have said, The Lord is my creator, the Lord is my sustainer, the Lord is my judge, my lawgiver. Yes, all true. 
But to say the Lord is my shepherd, that's, that's really an amazing statement. Because the truth for a lot of people, maybe some in this room, we struggle to think of God in such intimate terms. Y'all, the truth about a shepherd is that a shepherd is not a figurehead, not a dictator, not even a CEO. A shepherd is an intimate caretaker. A shepherd cares for a flock of sheep in a way that demands great care, great closeness, attention, and affection. If, even if we don't know much about shepherds, we can infer some things based on what the scripture tells us that a shepherd smells like sheep because of the proximity with the flock. He's always with them. He's always acting on their behalf and for their good, protecting, providing, and presiding over them. See, when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, that's meant to stun us, honestly. Because if we think of God as a figurehead or someone some, you know, kind of far away, very powerful and majestic, but distant. The idea of, of God as a shepherd crushes that false notion. And even more so, y'all, when David refers to God as my shepherd, meaning he's not merely the overseer of some nameless, faceless group of people. He's not a shepherd generally or only theoretically, but he's intimately acquainted with me and with you. Now, we Americans, we don't have much trouble individualizing things. That's really, that's our default, is to be individualistic in our thinking. But in ancient Israel, that was not the way of thinking, right? David comes, typically, most of the Psalms we notice are we in nature. They're corporate. They're the nation of Israel. And certainly that's true here. God shepherds a flock, a nation, a people. But when David refers to God as my shepherd individually, that's, that's kind of a revelation, perhaps, for a lot of people reading this for the first time, because God's love is not just kind of nameless and corporate. God's love is personal. God loves me. He loves you. Jesus affirms that when he speaks of God's care for us. You remember the place where Jesus says we ought not to worry about the things of life? Because God has each, number, each hair on your head numbered. And of course, that's, there's, I think that's literally true, by the way. I think God actually knows that number. But of course, there's a deeper meaning to that. That God is so intimately acquainted with you, so interested in you. He delights so much over you that he would know even the finest detail, a detail you don't even know about you. That's how much God cares about us. He is your shepherd. And because the great God of the universe shepherds me, David concludes, I shall not want. I have everything I need. I'm perfectly content under the provision and the protection of God. Now, that, that's an easy phrase for us to kind of nod at and move on. But I want us to pause for a moment, because th there's more to that phrase, I shall not want, than maybe meets the eye. Y'all, there are, if we're honest, there are a great many things that we desire outside of God, that we enjoy and love and pursue that are not God. David was a man, even though a man after God's heart, according to the Lord and the scripture, he wrote this psalm. David was a man who wanted things outside of God. He had ungodly desires. The scripture doesn't hide those things from us. And so this is one of these places where we need to be careful. We don't just recite the words and keep on going. We consider these words. 
if verse 1 of this psalm is true, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That means I truly have everything I need and more. And not just need, but want. The desires of the heart, God meets every single one at the deepest level. And so verse 1 is not just an acknowledgement of something that's true, it's a statement of faith. It's a statement of ambition. That all of our hearts ought to be this way. We ought to say this and really mean it. Do I really believe what this verse says? Because if I do, I will not live my life as a wanderer, always seeking out something else to satisfy me. Always seeking out more than what God is in himself. If I really believe verse 1, then I will be, just like Jesus says, I will worship the Lord my God and serve him only. And that will always be enough for me. I will have no other idolatry rooted in my heart. I will love God because that's where true life is found. I shall not want. That's not just a statement of fact, it's a statement of faith. And here's what this life looks like, this life under the shepherding and provision of God. It's verse 2. Look what he does. The Lord, the shepherd, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Now we think about this image right here of how a shepherd cares for his sheep. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Which is to say God brings you into a broad and fruitful place and he gives you rest there. Y'all, if your view of God is of an impatient, capricious, angry taskmaster, impossible to please, this psalm ought to melt your heart. God is not a burden giver. He's a burden bearer. God's heart is not to crush you but to bless you. Jesus explains this of himself in his own ministry in the Gospel of Matthew. Very famously, Jesus invites us. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. That's the promise of Christ to all who come to him. He makes us lie down in green pastures, and he leads us beside quiet waters. That's a statement of provision and peace. That's a shepherd who doesn't just tolerate his flock. He nourishes us and he tends to our every need. And he restores my soul, David says. He restores my soul. You know, if, if, um, if we view God as kind of um, distant, or even as I just mentioned, he's kind of, he's impossible to please. He's always kind of got a sharp edge against me rather than a soft heart toward me. Then we might be prone to think like this. Okay, I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm supposed to commit my life to God. I know I'm supposed to give him everything. But some of us have this nagging fear. If we really do that, if I really commit myself to him, if I really trust him, if I really obey him, he's going to ruin me. He's going to demand too much. He's going to take too much. He's going to force me to go places I don't want to go. If I give God an inch, he's going to take a mile. And so we're tempted to do our best to be good Christians. We show up to church, we worship God, we give him our allegiance, but only to a certain point. We almost kind of treat God at arm's length a little bit because I'm afraid 
that if I go all in, God's not really going to come through for me. God's not really going to keep his promise to me. I don't trust that he's entirely for me. But y'all, again, a psalm like this is meant to melt us down. The hardness of heart that brings us to such a conclusion. God speaks otherwise. The scripture says he restores my soul. He renews, he revives, he gives life in place of death. He gives grace in place of condemnation. God is entirely trustworthy. He is altogether good. He will not crush those who are his. He will not ruin you. He restores you. And you see the last part of verse 3 there? In his love and his shepherding, his restoring, he guides me also in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Which means the Lord leads you and me in all that is right. This is important here because God's God's role in our life is not just to comfort and provide. We're not his pets. I like to say that. That's the truth. He makes something out of you and me. He makes something great out of us. He makes us righteous for his name's sake. God leads you in such a way that you bear his name and you begin to reflect his heart. He makes us holy. We are obedient children because the Holy One has called us to be holy. He makes something out of you that you otherwise could never be. And y'all, I just I want to say this as an encouragement to us, that in terms of God's presence, His comfort and grace and love, and His, his um, uh, righteousness that He brings to our life and our heart, y'all, there's never once, I, can say, I, don't, I don't know this in terms of scientific you know, proof, but I can say it with great confidence. There has never once ever been a person who trusted Jesus Christ that God then left that person worse than he found them. It's never happened. And it certainly would never happen to you. No one has ever trusted Jesus and then God left us worse than he found us. No, he cultivates us. He develops us. He makes us more and more like his son Jesus. That's his ultimate eternal purpose for us is to conform us to the image of his own son. And in that, he receives great glory. There's not a one of us in this room that that's not true of if you've received Jesus Christ by faith. And so what is God to us? He's our shepherd. He gives us everything. He leads us. He guides us. He gives us rest. He comforts us. He makes us righteous. There ain't nothing, I I can't find a single thing wrong with this so far. Isn't this great? What's the catch? There's got to be a catch. No catch. But there is verse 4. Okay. Not a catch. But it it ain't all you know, candy and flowers, y'all. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Y'all, those first three verses we read, you could almost kind of whisper those and take great comfort in the whisper of these truths, but verse 4 is more like a megaphone. You don't whisper verse 4. Verse 4 is is loud and troubling because we're not talking anymore about green meadows and peaceful waters. We're talking about a dark and painful valley, the valley of the shadow of death. And you notice David's language. He doesn't say if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He says, though I walk through it, as if it's a certainty. And y'all, I think it's fairly safe to say if we live long enough, we know. We know this valley. 
Every Christian knows this valley where death uh, casts just this very harsh and long shadow over us, where, where our sin and circumstances, even people, seem to be against us, where hope and gladness maybe seem very far away. And we never really know how long that valley will be or how deep it's going to go. We never know when we're in the midst of it, if it's going to be long or short, if it's going to be shallow or deep. But, David says, I fear no evil there. I don't enjoy the valley, but I also don't fear it. Why? He says, because you, Father, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And again, this this is the divine shepherd right here. It may be natural for us to assume that in times of darkness, in times of difficulty, that must mean that God is absent, or at least very distant, aloof. The valley is a place where God is not there. But no. No, the, the, the point of this psalm is that God is not far away from us in our times of pain. God, uh, David affirms something that we need to hear, that God in the valley is right there with us. He's in the valley. Before we saw the shepherd leading us out in front, right here in verse 4 we have the shepherd beside us, comforting us. The rod and the staff that bring comfort. These are shepherd's tools. One tool to guide the sheep, another tool to defend them from predators. Y'all, the truth that the scripture affirms, and I hope for us it's a lived truth, not just something we have to project. Romans 8 says there's nothing in all creation, not a single thing, and, and if you want to go back and look at Romans 8, Paul gives a list of terrible things. And he says, and yet none of these things are able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing in the valley separates us from God or his love. And therefore, even in the pitchest black, we have nothing to fear because, God, you are with us. Now, to this point, the, the, the image is of God as a shepherd. David's going to change metaphor slightly on us here, which happens, Jesus did that a lot, okay? So we, we can forgive David for that too. He changes it up a little bit. Of course, he's given us the same principle in verse 5, but no longer so much a shepherd as a friend and a host. You see what verse 5 says? You, God, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Y'all, as as we saw in verse 4 just a second ago, we have to be sober-minded about reality here, the reality of, of life's valleys. In verse 5, the reality of enemies. Now, I know most of us here at Harvest Church, we're nice people. We're cordial. We don't start a lot of fights. Um, We don't have enemies by choice, necessarily, most of us at least. But we still got them. It's just one of those things that Jesus affirms for us. We have enemies. Chief among our enemies is Satan. So even if you're not aware of any human being that doesn't like you, you can be sure that someone's against you. But notice what God does. God, David says, prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The picture here is of you as God's honored guest at God's great feast. You are being served, you are loved, you are blessed, and your enemy can only watch from the outside sitting in a place of defeat and shame. 
you're honored while the great enemy sits in shame. And so if verse 4 tells us that God walks through the valley with us, verse 5 is showing us there's always an end to the valley. There's always an outcome that God presides over and guarantees in the end. In this life and certainly in the life to come, we triumph, we overcome, we feast to the glory of God. And so David can say it with great confidence, right there on the heels of the valley of the shadow of death, God, you have anointed my head with oil. Which means God has brought him close into fellowship with him. God has honored David. My cup overflows. Meaning God has spared no expense over you. When you show up for the feast, God doesn't put out the paper plates. All right, God's not going to serve the leftovers. No, he honors us. The best wine runs over the cup for you. There is no holding back in terms of God's grace and mercy. He loves us. And I think sometimes, you know, this, as great as verse 5 is, it's almost like the forgotten verse in this psalm because the, the metaphor changes. We, we prefer the shepherd, perhaps, over the host, you know. But, y'all, I want us to hold this to our, into, into our hearts here because... What verse 5, I think, tells us about God's love. Y'all, God's love for you is not pity. God's love is not the same as pity. God doesn't take care of you simply because he feels sorry for you. That's not verse 5. Verse 5 says he gives us esteem. He prepares the table for us. That's backward from what we might expect. God is the honored guest, and I'm the servant. I prepare the table. I pour the cup. I'm serving him, right? Sure. But that's not the image here. God serves. God prepares. God pours. God blesses. God anoints. He's not too good for that. Jesus was not too good for it. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so when God looks upon you with this kind of honor, we shouldn't shrink back in shame knowing we don't deserve it. This is God's gracious choice. He chooses to treat us this way. Not because he pities us, but he really does care about us. Psalm 23 is about a shepherd who delights in his sheep. He doesn't just put up with us. And some of us need to be emboldened in this. You can actually approach God as his child, and he really does receive you. He really does love you. He doesn't roll his eyes when he sees you coming close. So we are loved, we are honored, we are blessed. And look at how the psalm ends, this sweeping conclusion in verse 6. Surely, most certainly, goodness and loving kindness or mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Remember, in the beginning, God leads us. Then in verse 4, in the valley, God comes beside us. Now in verse 6, goodness and mercy follow us all of our days. In front, alongside, and even behind. And y'all, what's what's interesting about this word follow, it's really the word pursue. And that could be a scary word. We think about someone pursuing someone else, perhaps with ill intentions. But no, here David is trying to show us here that the goodness and the mercy of God are 
are, uh, encompass all of life. It, the, the, the goodness of God is steadfast around us all the time. Y'all, there's never a day, even in the valley, remember, there's never a day where the goodness and the mercy and the promise of God are not the wind at your back. He, he covers us on all sides. God has committed himself to you, and he does not change his mind. And you will, David says, you will dwell in his house forever. That's a promise for this present life and also for the life to come. Remember when Jesus said to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also. How's that for a promise? I will, you will, by faith, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is here and now, yes, but it's certainly to come. And so, y'all, I I don't, can I just tell y'all the truth? I preached this back during COVID online. I don't even remember, but I found it. Here it is. I found it on the computer, and I realized that it happened. I'm just going to quote something verbatim from March 2020 or whenever this was. But here's what's sad. It's still true, all right? Friends, you ready for this? We are certainly living in a strange and disturbing moment. And at this point, we cannot see what is to come, nor can we really control what is to come. And it's easy, perhaps, for us to see even something as marvelous as Psalm 23 as just words on a page, even if they're very nice and comforting words. But I want to encourage us to see and to savor the awesome power of what we just read. The God who created all things, all the universe and all it contains, the God who upholds all things by the word of his power, God himself who has no equal, who has no obligation outside of him to do anything for us, God has decided to make himself your shepherd. God has not forsaken you in your weakness or your sin. Instead, he has come close to guide you and care for you. God has not left you in the valley. He has entered into the valley with you to see you through. And his loving kindness has been pledged and sealed to you forever. Everything that was true two years ago is still true. Both the uncertainty of life and the certainty of God. And so, y'all, as we close, when, when David wrote Psalm 23, it's clear that he's looking back on the good evidence of God's faithfulness. But it's also clear that he's looking ahead, isn't it? How the, how the verse ends, verse 6, there's hopeful expectation of what is to come. And this is true when we read the book of Hebrews. Hebrews tells us that men like David had great faith, but they were always looking ahead to something that they could not yet grasp. There was a promise that they would not see fulfilled in their lives on this earth, but that was still to come, that they built their lives on. And see, we now, all these years later, we actually have the privilege of living in the present reality of those promises. See, when we declare that God is our shepherd, there's a fullness in those words that even David, who wrote the 23rd Psalm, could not yet fully see. We see it in a way that was only in shadows to him. And we see it because we have the full revelation of Jesus Christ. And so let me read what Jesus said. Very famously in John chapter 10, Jesus brings 
this Psalm 23 idea to its fullness. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, has done more than lead us. We see it. He doesn't just lead us into a better life or a more religious life. He has laid down his own life us. That's what the good shepherd ultimately comes to do. Jesus does more than just walk alongside us through our valleys. He himself walked the very darkest valley for us, a valley we could never walk. He walked through eternal condemnation for us, for the sake of the world, so that we might be forgiven and rescued out of our sin. Jesus shows himself as our true Shepherd, one who did not just come to help us along, but who came to save us forever at the cost of himself. Y'all, the greatest possible gift God could give us, we see it in the psalm and we certainly see it in John 10, the greatest gift God could give is the gift of himself. Not help for the journey merely, but the gift of God, the gift of his own son who died and rose again to give us life in his name. And that's a true gift. The sheep can't earn it from the shepherd. And we cannot earn it from God. We only receive it by faith in him. Y'all, if this is something that we could earn, we'd have no reason to give thanks. We'd thank ourselves. But because salvation is entirely a gift of grace, we will only and always forever owe our gratitude to Jesus alone. We will thank him forever and never grow tired. Because it's all a gift given by the one who has shepherded us, even to death, on our behalf. And so, y'all, if we, we talk about gratitude, there is a kind of gratitude where we look around at our circumstances and we just thank the Lord for specific people and events and possessions and good health and good memories and so on, and y'all, that is wonderful. We would never disparage that. We should count our blessings. But there's a deeper and there's a greater thanksgiving that belongs to us, that is ours. And it's something beyond all merely human and temporary categories. It's something that could not be taken from us. And we see it in Psalm 23. The story of a God who has utterly committed himself to us without obligation. He, we, he is not in our debt as if we earned this from him. No. He simply has chosen to love us and delight in us. 
and he's committed himself to us no matter what, from beginning to end. We have a heavenly father who delights to give us a million good gifts, but no gift greater than the gift of himself. And so, y'all, when we think about Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, Jesus is not just one more thing we're thankful for on the long list of things. Jesus is the ground of everything. He is the foundation of all thanksgiving and of all hope. He is the good shepherd who loves us, who knows us, and who has given himself for us. When we say the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's not just a statement of fact, but of faith. Because the shepherd sent his son to be our good shepherd. And we have everything, everything, as a gift of his grace. Let's pray. Father, would you grant us this morning a deep heart to uh, to receive all that we've read and considered. Father, this is, uh, if we know this psalm, then perhaps we take it for granted. We've known it for a long time. We, re- we, re- we learned it in Bible school, perhaps. And we can recite it and just keep on going. And I pray this morning that we would, we would never fall into that trap, but that we would, Lord, piece by piece, verse by verse, just drink deeply and richly of your grace, of your kindness, of your power displayed, Lord, in drawing near to us to love us, and and most especially in the sending of your Son for us. Father, would it be true of us that, that when we consider the depth of your love and your commitment to us, Father, that we would that, that the temptation to want what is not you, to wander and pursue what is not of you, Lord, that that temptation would be dashed to pieces because we really have come to know you, not just words on a page, but the shepherd who loves, who provides, who leads, who gives, who comforts, who sustains, who saves. Father, thank you that Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, did not merely show us a better path in hopes that we could could gear ourselves up and follow it, but knowing we never could, he gave us himself. He laid down his own life for the sheep. And now we are yours, Father forever. Thank you, Father, that this is a true gift. And therefore, Lord, we will we'll spend eternity declaring with, with whatever vocabulary we may possess, Lord, we'll be, we'll be declaring a, a single message of thanks and praise. And we will never grow weary of it because you are that good to us. Lord, let this fill our hearts. Let it change our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.